Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. And I would invite you to take your copies of the scriptures this morning and open to the book of Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. God has given us His gracious word, which the Bible calls the words of Him who is the first and the last. The words of Him who is the beginning and the end. The words of Him who is the Alpha and the Omega. The one who knows the beginning of all things and the end of all things. The word that we need. I pray as we come to His word this morning that we would recognize our need to hear the words of Him who is the first and the last. So would you stand with me as I read Exodus 29? As we continue our time through the book of Exodus and this series to see how we can know it and apply it to our own lives and how we live today. Exodus 29, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is what you shall do to, con- to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread and unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, and its skin, and its dung, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. 
It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood, and throw it against the sides of the altar. And you shall cut the ram into pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and take part of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar, and of the anointing oil, and sprinkle, sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons, and on his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. You shall also take the fat of the ram, and the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread, and one cake of bread made with oil, and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron, and on the palms of his sons, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination. From what was Aaron's and his sons, it shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as a priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of, for the ordination or of the bread that remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy." Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall atone uh, and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, a year old day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. 
There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what your Spirit says to this church. Through your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What is the best thing about you? That might be a difficult question for you to answer. What is the best thing about you? Do we provide a physical attribute? Like our smile or our hair? Definitely not my hair. Do we offer a unique gifting or ability? Do we say something that we possess? Do we say something about our character? I am humble. Is that what a humble person says? What is the best thing about you? In fact, maybe we would even try to deflect and say, the best thing about me is my wife. I would say that. Many men may say that. It's interesting, I've never heard a wife say the best thing about her is her husband. Always seems only to go the other way. Maybe you would say, there is no best thing about you. Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing special. Who are you or who am I after all? Just a run-of-the-mill person. Fairly bland, nothing to write home about. Or maybe we recognize our smallness. Who am I? What do I have to offer? I am small and significant in the grand scheme of things. What if our judgments and estimations of ourself are all wrong? What if we prioritize the wrong things about ourselves? What if we are viewed ourselves inaccurately? I'm not saying that we just need more self-esteem. I'm saying, are our judgments of ourselves based on how we view ourselves and how the world around us might judge us. And that it's by those standards, our own standards, or the world's standards, that we judge if we are successes or failures, important or inconsequential, somebody or nobody, 
elite or ordinary? Have we as the church judged ourselves and the work that God has called us to do according to God's standards or the world's standards? Have we prioritized what God prioritizes? Let us not too easily forget what 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says when it talks about us. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast. In the Lord. Dear brother and sister, we are not the wise of the world. We are not the powerful. We are not those of noble birth. But God has chosen us the things that are foolish of the world. He has chosen the things that are weak, the people who are weak. He has chosen what is low and despised, even things that are not. How I find too often an apt description of myself in those words. What do we have to boast in then? Not ourselves, but only the Lord. Have we ever boasted to our own shame? Francis Schaeffer, modern day theologian who has now passed away, wrote this, I believe it was in the 1980s. He says this, the scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. The problem for each of us is applying this truth to ourselves. Is Francis Schaeffer the Francis Schaeffer of God? Only one thing is important, to be consecrated persons in God's place for us at each moment. Is that important in your life? There are no little people, there are no big people, there are only consecrated people and unconsecrated people. Is being consecrated so important in your life that 
You could let go of everything else. But you could never let go of that. As Christians, as consecrated people, we cannot and would not and would never let that go. We would never compromise on being consecrated people. And so we ask this question, are you a consecrated person? Or are you an unconsecrated person? What does it mean to be consecrated? It means to be set apart, to be given to another, to be set aside for a particular purpose or plan. Here in this context, it means to put something or someone into a state of holiness, to dedicate it for the use of God. But consecration is only necessary if there is a holy God. If there is no God and if there is no holy God, there is no reason to be consecrated. Because only those things or those people who are consecrated can come into the presence of God. Consecration was not an option for the priests in Israel. The holy God was setting up residence within the midst of the people. How could God, in His holiness, exist in the midst of people who were sinful and who were impure and who were unclean? How could God dwell in the midst of these kind of people and how could priests who were like this be able to come before Him and serve Him in the tabernacle? without being struck down dead. They needed to be consecrated. And we learn about this consecration process as the priests were brought near to the entrance of the tabernacle. And so we learn that these priests were to be consecrated before the Lord. They were to be set apart And as we learn about this process of consecration that they went through, we learn also that the Christians are to be consecrated to God. We are to be set apart for Him. These processes must be in our lives and in our hearts. So what does it mean to be consecrated to the Lord? Well, number one, you can follow along there in your bulletin if it is helpful. Number one, being consecrated to the Lord commences with purification. Being consecrated to the Lord commences or begins or starts with purification. A few years ago now, there was a series of gum commercials for a specific gum brand that used to air, and it would ask this question, dirty mouth? And they suggested that their gum would clean it up if it were only that easy. 
this is where we begin with the priests. And still, this is where we begin with our own lives. They were not clean. They were not holy. They were sinful. And because of their sin, they were impure in the sight of God. As those unclean, impure, and sinful, they could not approach God. We have this question ringing in our ears from Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. And so it is similar with these priests who are supposed to go into the presence of God. Look at verse 4 in Exodus 29. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, because it's another term for the tabernacle, and wash them with water. Notice it is Moses taking this action toward the priests. This is not Aaron and his sons washing themselves. You, Moses, shall wash them. It is not merely a bath to wash physical dirt away from their physical bodies, but it is a symbolic washing. And it is a washing that they needed to have happen to them. This is why when we baptize someone, we don't let them baptize themselves. You can't dunk yourself under the water because even in that, there is a picture of God's grace that God, in His grace and in His mercy and in His love, has caused something to happen. He has washed this person. He has made them new. He has cleansed them. They have not done it for themselves. What did the priests need before they were able to go into the presence of the Lord? They needed to be washed. They needed to be cleansed. They needed to be made pure. This is the emphasis of the first two sacrifices, the bull and then the first ram. The bull is killed and the blood is applied from that bull to the horns of the altar, that's the top of the altar, and then also the base of the altar. While some of the parts of the bull are burned on the altar, the rest of the bull is taken outside the camp. Outside the camp, that is the place of the unclean, the place of the cursed. The rest of the bull is burned there. Specifically, we are told in verse 14 that the bull is a sin offering, or more literally, a purification offering. This is a sin-cleansing sacrifice. Next is the first ram. Here now the whole animal is burnt on the altar. And the blood of this first ram is taken and thrown on the sides of the altar. Notice with the bull, we started at the top, the horns of the altar and the base. But now with this first ram, its bloods are thrown on the side of the altar the altar has been purified from top to bottom with blood. And this offering is specifically called a burnt offering. These burnt offerings are for making atonement before the Lord. The sacrifice is seen as a ransom payment made to Yahweh. And it is a total offering because it shows a total and complete 
dedication to the Lord. And finally, then the second ram is sacrificed. And now the blood of this ram, what happens with it? It is applied actually to the priest's body. But not his whole body. It's applied to his right ear, his right thumb, and as it says, his great toe, or what we would call the big toe. From top to bottom, the priests have been cleansed of their sin. The picture is clear. They have been cleansed and purified through blood. Is there desire for purity in your life? Oftentimes when we use that word, we think of merely sexual purity. And while that purity is important, purity, purity from sin, purity from that which would make us unclean before the sight of the Lord, is to be rejected. We want to be pure before our God. Do you recognize what your sin does to you? Do we want to be made clean and pure in His sight? Being consecrated to the Lord begins, commences with purification and number two, being consecrated to the Lord is confirmed with sanctification. Being consecrated to the Lord is confirmed with sanctification. With the second ram, there is a second part. First, the blood was applied to the bodies of the priests, their right ears and thumbs and toes. But now then the rest of the blood was again thrown against the sides of the altar. And now they were to take some of this blood that had touched the holy altar and they were to mingle it with anointing oil and they were to sprinkle it on the bodies and on the garments of Aaron and his sons. And they were to clothe Aaron and his sons with the special garments that had been made specifically for them so that they could serve in the tabernacle. And what does it say in verse 21? He and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. First they were purified and cleansed, and then they are made holy, sanctified. This action of purifying and sanctifying is to create a bond between the priesthood and Yahweh, and really Purifying and sanctifying are two sides of the same coin. It's not enough just to be made pure and cleansed from your sin. No, something is actually given to you. Sanctification, holiness. And does not that play out in our own Christian lives? The things that we are to put off. But we are not merely to put off sin. We are not merely to forsake sin. We are to put on those things that are honoring and glorifying to Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And now the holy God has made holy priests who were to serve Him and who were supposed to represent the people before Yahweh. The priests were representing the holy nation of Israel. How do we know those who are the Lord's? It is those who have been sanctified by Him. It is those who have been made holy by Him. It is by God's action that tabernacles and altars and people like the priests were consecrated. In fact, look at verse 44 of Exodus 29. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons, I will consecrate. It's the Lord's work of consecrating. It's the Lord's work of purifying and sanctifying His own people. But why does He do all of this? Why is it necessary that we are purified and sanctified by Yahweh Himself, it is necessary because being consecrated to the Lord culminates with communion. That's point number three. Being consecrated to the Lord culminates with communion. What is the final act in this consecration process? First, we see that it is a fairly long process. Seven days it takes. But the final act is a meal. Part of that second ram is to be waved before the Lord. And it was given then to Aaron and to his sons to eat along with the holy bread. And here are Yahweh's priests eating at the entrance of the tent of meeting of the tabernacle. What does that signify? They are communing and fellowshipping with Yahweh. They are allowed to eat the holy meat and the holy bread because they are the consecrated ones. They are the ones who have been set apart by the Lord to serve the Lord. We are now the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people who are cleansed and sanctified by the truth of God's word. And we are the ones privileged to eat the holy food of the bread and of the cup at the Lord's Supper. And notice it was God's saving act of deliverance that brought about the possibility for consecration and for holiness. This is the end now of chapter 29. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Notice it was not their holiness. It was not the fact that they had been, that the fact that they had purified themselves and sanctified themselves and then the Lord saved them. No, it was the Lord who saved them so that they could be purified and then consecrated. We are not saved because we are holy or because we are consecrated. We are consecrated and holy because we have been saved. And the only way we can pursue holiness is because our God is holy and He gives us of His holiness. So our holiness is only ever a borrowed holiness.
And this is the goal of life. What the priests have gone through in being consecrated, this process from being purified to sanctified to then communion with the living God tells us that this is the goal. This is the purpose of all of Christian life. To commune with God. That is why God has created you. To commune with Him. And not only has He provided the way for you to commune with Him, He also makes you who you are so that you can commune with Him. Isaiah had a vision where the seraphim were calling back to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And what did the prophet Isaiah do? Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized the problem. He could not be in God's holy presence because he was impure and unclean and sinful. And one then of the angels took a coal from the altar of God and put it upon his lips and said, Your sins have been atoned for. You are cleansed. You can serve the Lord. What is the best thing about you? The best thing, this is what we should say. So if we ask ourselves this question, what is the best thing about us or what is the best thing about you? The best thing about me is that I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. So great a price and so costly a price. Look at what God the Father has done in sending His own Son, the perfect Son of God. The spotless Lamb came to die in my place. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The best thing about me is that I have been consecrated to God by God. He has done this work of consecration in me. And it's He who does this work of consecration in anyone. You cannot consecrate yourself. You cannot wash and clean yourself. You cannot sanctify yourself. You cannot achieve some merit or some status on your own so that you can come into God's presence and have fellowship with Him. It is God who consecrates at such a cost his own Son, so that He might reconcile us, vile, disgusting, dead sinners, to Himself. God reconciles the unreconcilable. God consecrates the unconsecratable. God saves 
the unsavable. God gives an inheritance to those who have no right to an inheritance. Is there any way that God would do this work in you? Are you so far gone that you might be tempted to think, God would never consecrate me. God would never set me apart. God would never make me holy. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians 6 with me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Woe is me, for I am undone. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You are not too far gone. Imagine what the priests had to do in laying their hands upon the heads of the sacrifices as they put their hands on the head of the bull or on the heads of the rams. They were confessing their sin and their guilt before the people. They were saying, we are not perfect. We are sinners and we are guilty. And as they laid their hands upon the heads of those animals, it was to represent a transfer. A transfer of their sin and of their guilt to that animal. Saying, my sin and my guilt is placed upon this animal. And what is about to happen to them is what I deserve. I deserve to die for my sin. Here was a public confession of sin. Oh friend, have you laid your hand upon the pierced brow of our Savior Jesus Christ? Have you seen that you need a perfect sacrifice to die in your place, to take away your sin and your guilt once and for all? Have you confessed that you are guilty and that you are a sinner? I am a great sinner, but Christ, Christ is a great Savior. And if you would refuse to lay your hand upon His head, then there is no salvation. There is no eternal life. There is no hope for eternity in a heaven with Him, with fellowship and communion with Him, but only the dreadful destiny of hell forever. Do you not want to lay your hand on Jesus? 
do you not want to be washed? Do you not want to be sanctified and justified? Why do you want to put your hand upon Him? Is it not because God has so worked in your heart and revealed to you that the saving grace of Jesus Christ is greater than all of your sin. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I want to lay my hand upon Christ, but I don't know if I'm able to do it. Let me say this to you. The very fact that you want to is God's invitation to you to deny yourself, to repent of your sin, and to turn in faith and trust to Jesus. You do not lay your hand on Jesus' head because you are able. No, you lay your hand on Jesus' head because He is able. He is able to forgive you of all of your sin. He is able to wash you completely clean. He is able to make it so you can draw near to God with a full assurance of faith, with a heart that has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and your body washed with pure water. Come to Him in faith. Come to Him. He will not cast you out. He will save you. He will consecrate you. He will consecrate you completely. There is no halfway consecration. If you are a professing Christian today, you are either consecrated to God or you are not consecrated. You are either pursuing holiness or you are not. You are either His or you are not. And this does not mean that you are perfect. But it should be evident in your life that you are consecrated to the Lord and pursuing holiness. Hebrews 10 gives us the evidences of a consecrated life. If you turn there for a moment, Hebrews 10, 23-24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He was promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you are consecrated to the Lord, you will hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering because God is faithful. You will consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and actually do it, not just consider it, consider it, with the intention of actually doing it. You will not neglect to meet together, but you will encourage one another all the more until that day when Christ gloriously returns. How costly was Christ's sacrifice that made it possible for us to have fellowship and communion with God. How precious is His sacrifice to us. It has enabled us to do what we are seeking to do together today. Meet with God.
Why is it? Why is it that we might sometimes not desire consecration? Is it because consecration is costly? Would we rather prefer a cheap consecration? But a cheap consecration is no consecration at all. Dear brother and sister, consecration is costly because Christ's sacrifice was costly. Our consecration has happened by the shedding of Jesus' blood. And so, being consecrated at so great a cost requires us to pursue holiness and godliness. Do we ever diminish the sacrifice of Christ when we all too easily and willingly make excuses for why we cannot pursue holiness? For why perhaps we do not need to meet together? Why we might make excuses for the fact that we cannot consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Making excuses for why we cannot even pray together. Is Christ's sacrifice costly or is it not? Has God consecrated you through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit or has He not? Has Jesus given us of Himself as the sacrifice so that we can eat and commune with the living God, or has He not? Has Jesus gone outside the camp, to the place of the unclean, to the place of the condemned, to the place of those who are accursed, or has He not? He has. He has done all of those things. Why? To sanctify people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him who is outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. And we can do all of this because we have no lasting city here. You are not consecrated for this world. You are not consecrated for a home here. You are consecrated for a city that is to come. A city whose designer and builder is God Himself. And so God is getting you ready to get to that home and to that city. Do you pray for your own holiness? Do you plead for the Lord to make you holy? And let me say something to those who desperately desire holiness but often feel discouraged like they're not making any progress. Growing in holiness 
is a process. It takes time. It does not happen all at once. Here a little, there a little. You pray for holiness. You pursue holiness. God will make you holy. But it is not all at once. It is a process. And hear this. God is glorified by the process. Do you pray for your holiness? Do you pray for the holiness of others? Do you pray that your brothers and sisters might be made holy? Do you take time to look out and say, Lord, please, please make my brothers and sisters more holy. Make them more like Jesus. Let them desire Him more. Do you pray for your own holiness? Do you pray for the holiness of others? Do you pray for the holiness of Christ's church? If I were to ask, would we want a consecrated church? I bet we would all say yes. We want, we long for a consecrated church. Where does that start? This morning, if you only think of all of the other people that need to be consecrated, a church of Christ that is consecrated begins with you. That's where it starts. You want a consecrated church? Look to yourself and say, Lord, let me be consecrated for the building up of your church. Are you consecrated to the Lord? Tonight, you have a chance to apply this scripture to your own life. We are going to come back together tonight at 5 p.m. and we are going to pray. We're going to pray that we are holy people. We are going to pray for the holiness of others. We're going to pray that other people in the community and in the world would be saved and we brought into the kingdom of God. We are going to pray that we are God's consecrated people and that we serve Him the way that we should. And then let us start thinking about ourselves in this way. Let us start introducing ourselves this way. Hi, my name is Tyler, but I am not just any Tyler. I am God's. Tyler, are you God's?